Hi, I'm David Freudberg. We here at Humankind are trying to strike a balance to make our public radio programs available to you and also to make sure we're able to pay our production costs from office rent to staff time to studio and distribution expenses. The grants we receive from funders you hear named on our programs don't fully cover our operating costs. And if you like what you hear, we're asking for your help so we can keep our program and this podcast going. Please visit humanmedia.org and at the top of our homepage, click on How You Can Help. Thanks. Humankind is produced in association with WGBH Boston and supported by the Humankind Program Fund and a special grant from the Henry Luce Foundation. When my dad came back, he just thought he was going crazy. People would call it shell-shocked. Some people would call it combat fatigue or soldier's heart. How the child of a soldier with post-traumatic stress broke the cycle of war's painful after-effects. You're listening to Humankind. I'm David Freudberg. When a nation rattles the sabers of war, our sights are trained on the villain to be vanquished, the rightness of our cause, and patriotic ardor that rallies the people together. But in the often feverish moments leading up to military conflict, we sometimes forget how the lives of young soldiers may be forever altered. When my father was 18, he was drafted to Vietnam. And like so many men of that era, When he returned home, he was not the same person. Crystal Presley's father, Delmer, came back from the war at age 19 in 1970. She was born eight years later and lived with her parents in a trailer home about 150 miles west of Roanoke in the small rural town of Honeaker, Virginia. My dad spent much of my childhood locked in his room, vacillating between depression and rage. He wasn't even able to participate in Christmases or birthdays, oftentimes. And so my mother and I learned to walk on eggshells. We did anything and everything not to provoke him. He was diagnosed with PTSD in the mid-80s, and his symptoms were so severe that he was eventually declared 100% disabled. The field of psychiatry was just starting then to understand the syndrome, now called post-traumatic stress disorder. For military veterans, the symptoms of combat stress may include nightmares, feeling jumpy and anxious, trouble with concentration and memory, and avoiding crowded settings. Post-traumatic stress can result from the dangerous, frightening, wrenching conditions of violence, all too familiar to the millions of soldiers who've been deployed in recent years to Afghanistan and Iraq, and for young Delmer Presley in the 1960s, Vietnam. He was shot at constantly. He always had to be so hypervigilant. He said there were no time for emotions, that 24 hours, seven days a week, he was focused on staying alive. He watched so many of his friends die. He loaded their bodies in body bags into helicopters. And my dad actually described one particularly haunting event to me. He was getting ready to be deployed back to 
the U.S. So his time in Vietnam was over. And something that was that became tradition was that when the new guys came in, they would put the people who were on the front line in the back and put the new newer guys in the front. And so that happened, even though my dad begged that he wanted to stay in the front until the end. Because there was a young guy that had come along that my dad really just loved a lot, became a good friend of his. And this guy always went around carrying a picture of a baby. It was his new child that he'd never met. And as soon as this guy traded place with my dad, he was killed. And my dad said that he saw it happen and that he'll never forgive himself for that. Um, The guy ran into a bomb. It exploded, and he was filled full of shrapnel. So that must be pretty tough. And your dad was how old at this time? At this point, my dad was 19. Pretty heavy burden for someone of any age to carry, but particularly so for a 19-year-old. Absolutely. Can you talk about behaviors he's had that you've now come to see as signs of post-traumatic stress? He was so incredibly moody growing up. And I don't mean moody as in just, I mean, we can all be moody. But he really just went between depression and rage, and it didn't really take much to set him off. He was so sound sensitive that if I dropped a plate, a spoon, if a car was just merely riding by and if it backfired, my dad would go into war mode. He would hit the floor. He would come after me. You never really knew what he was going to do. Come after you? He would come after me, yeah. There were several times when... And, you know, he never physically hurt me, but I was always afraid that he was going to. If I dropped a glass, for example, there was one occasion when he actually came after me. And so I ran into my bedroom. He was chasing me, and I locked myself in my room, and I pushed all the furniture against the door. And he was beating on the door with his fist, yelling for him, for, for me to open the door and let him in. And I remember hiding from him in my closet. At that point, how old were you, Crystal? Seven. So that's got to be a absolutely terrifying experience for a seven-year-old. It was, and he was very often suicidal, too. And so he would take his gun and announce that he was going to the river to kill himself. This would happen two or three times a week sometimes. And uh, that was also one of the after effects of PTSD. He just felt like he just could not handle life in general. Did you at the time, particularly as a young girl, Uh, see this as my dad's in trouble, he's experiencing a lot of anguish? Were you able to kind of put together a big picture of what was going on? I don't know that I could put together a big picture. I knew something was terribly wrong. And my mother would whisper the word Vietnam the same way she would whisper the term PTSD. And I knew that something really awful was wrong with my dad, but I just didn't know what any of that meant. I knew that Vietnam was a war, that's about it. Let us all understand that the question before us is not whether some Americans are for peace and some Americans are against peace. President Richard Nixon addressing the nation on television November 1969. The question at issue is not whether Johnson's war becomes Nixon's war. The great question is, how can we win America's peace? I was a young man, I was sent to a far-off country To fight a war I still don't 
don't understand That I was proud to go to serve for my country In the place they call South Vietnam Delmer Presley singing a song he wrote shortly after his tour in Southeast Asia as a U.S. soldier in the 1960s. The after effects he suffered were in turn experienced by his daughter Crystal, known as second-generation post-traumatic stress. Now in her 30s, Crystal became an English teacher and today supports and trains new teachers in the Atlanta public schools. Her journey is movingly chronicled in a memoir, 30 Days with My Father. I actually exhibited a lot of my father's symptoms, although I wouldn't put that together for many, many years. But when my dad was locked away in his room, I was locked away in my room, in my closet. I felt really depressed. When my dad felt depressed, I also vacillated between depression and rage. My dad was often suicidal and I wanted to be so close to him, but I didn't know how. So what I would do is I would cut myself. I stapled my hand. And in a weird kind of way, that made me feel like I was at one with my father. What was your relationship with your mother like? At first, we were best friends. My mom and I tried to keep my dad alive together. We did everything and and anything not to provoke him and... We would go to church together. We would pray. It was kind of our one sense of salvation. We really thought that if we were good enough people that God would help my dad. And that really didn't happen. So I became very resentful of God and resentful towards my mother too. And so we stopped being best friends about middle school because I realized that something was terribly wrong. And I blamed her because she couldn't change the situation I wanted us to leave him, to be perfectly honest, and she wouldn't. And I began to see then that getting out of that house in that area was probably going to be the only way that I could ever have some semblance of normalcy in my life. Can you describe your own experiences of shame around growing up in that household? I felt so ashamed that my father hated me. I really thought he did back then. I thought he was hiding away from my mother and me. I mean, I knew he was sick, but I thought that if he really loved us enough that he'd get better. I felt so ashamed going to church and praying because I thought if I was only a good enough girl that, you know, God would come in. He was supposed to do anything I ask if I followed the Bible exactly. So I was so shameful that I must have been so bad that God wouldn't help me. So you saw your troubled home life as a punishment by God uh, of you? I did for many years. Mm. And I was so ashamed to talk about what was actually happening, my father's symptoms, the way we actually lived. So I would go to school and the teacher would ask everybody, my, my teachers always would ask the, my classmates and me, how was your weekend? And I just could not fathom answering honestly about the things that were happening in my house. I was just really ashamed because I thought that I was the only person who was having this kind of trauma. But it was a war that people didn't talk about. PTSD was so new. And I lived in such a tiny rural community where 
You just didn't talk about things like this. So my mom and I were just silent for years and years, and it was like a cancer inside me. The mass kept getting bigger and bigger. As a young woman, Crystal Presley began to put the pieces together to understand the powerful influences that led to her difficult and at times unhappy childhood. As a lover of literature, she took a writing workshop and was challenged to write about her greatest fears, a project that ultimately took the form of a book. It prodded her to take stock of her life. When I was 30, I realized, you know, I'd had years and years of therapy by that point, and I had tried pretty much every way I knew to be happy. And I'd had several different therapists. And in addition to never really being able to be fully happy and peaceful and content, all these different therapists, everything I talked about would always go back to my childhood and my dad. And I realized that, you know, my dad was getting older. He's not in great health. And... It was time to reach out to him. For the first time in my life, I was ready to hear his story. And I knew it would be hard, but I had so many questions about myself, really, back then, about what had happened to me, what had happened to my family. And in order to fill in those pieces, I needed to talk to him. You had been estranged from your dad for uh, many years. For 13 years, we'd barely spoken at all. From the moment I left that house, I'd cut him off. That must have been painful for you. It was, and I know that it was very painful for him as well. I just didn't know how to deal with all the things that were happening back then, and I really blamed him for a lot of my suffering. And so I felt like the best thing I could do when I was 18 is just start a completely new life without him. So you decided to turn this into a writing project. Your dad had been silent about his Vietnam experiences for decades. You were diving back into waters that had been very troubled for you. This had to have been something you uh, approached with a bit of trepidation. It was, and I wasn't even sure he would agree to have these 30 days of phone conversations with me. I thought that he would likely say no, and then I could say, okay, I've tried to reach out to him. He said no, and now I can move on without him. But he said yes. So then I had to move forward with the project. And I wanted to. I wanted to really get to know him. But it was so scary. And luckily I had the help of, you know, of a therapist at the time. What was scary? Reopening all those old wounds. I mean, you have to understand that from the time I left that house when I was 18, even though I would sort of talk about things in therapy I would always avoid many conversations. And so this was facing my fears in the most direct way that I ever had before. And I didn't know what the repercussions would be for me. I'm really struck by the almost exact parallel between your emotional condition and your dad's at the prospect of going into dialogue about this thing that both of you had avoided for a very, very long time. That must have been um, an interesting point-counterpoint dance. It was, and I don't think we even really noticed it at the time. We noticed it midway through the project, and of course now we can talk about it, but 
I think before we were just so consumed with our own fears, we wanted to try to build a relationship, but we're so cautious about it that our fear almost superseded anything else. We're talking with Crystal Presley, author of 30 Days with My Father. She recounts the experience of growing up with her father, Delmer, who was drafted as an 18-year-old, then deployed to Vietnam, where his experience produced post-traumatic stress. You're listening to Humankind. I'm David Freudberg. For a copy of this program and to learn more about the after-effects of war, please visit humanmedia.org. Crystal Presley's odyssey to understand her troubled childhood led her in her early 30s to propose a month's worth of daily phone calls with the father in Virginia from whom she had long ago grown apart. I feel like I really became an adult for the first time during these 30 days of conversations. I guess we all view our parents as these almost superhuman people, and there's the expectation so often that they're supposed to be perfect and they're supposed to know all the right answers and do all the right things. And I was able to see my dad as a scared kid, as somebody who, whose life was completely changed by an experience that he had no control over and somebody who came back a very broken person and was never truly able to reintegrate himself back into society. And there were so many questions that my father was able to answer. I asked my dad directly, why were you hiding from my mom and me so often? Did you hate us? Because I always thought that he did. And he told me that that absolutely wasn't the case, that my mom and I were his heart and his soul. We were the most important thing in his world. And he knew that he was unpredictable. He knew that he was moody. He knew that anything could set him off, and he was actually hiding away from us so much because he was trying to protect us from him. He was afraid of what his own uncontrollable emotions might lead to. Right, and when he said those words, that changed everything for me. I was able to see my childhood in a very different context, just really understanding things from his perspective. So that that had to have been extremely powerful uh, for you to hear, he didn't hate us, he was trying to protect us. It was, and I also felt very guilty about that at the same time, and that's something that I've had to sort through and work through since because I kept wishing, gosh, if we just would have knocked, if we just would have asked for his story, if we just would have talked about this and acknowledged what was happening because so many things were happening, but simultaneously... My mother and I were just moving through, moving through, refusing to really acknowledge anything. Then perhaps things would have been different. Does forgiveness play a role in your journey of understanding this? It does. I held a grudge against my father and my mother for years and really blamed them for my own inability to build relationships and to find peace. And I was able to forgive them both with the understanding that they didn't do anything wrong. I mean, they were people who were young and confused with no resources, who were, you know, my mom was affected by a war a war that she never fought in. 
My dad, it was never his choice to go to Vietnam. He was drafted. He was doing the best he could with what he had. And um, now that I know that, I'm able to forgive them and to forgive myself. Because there was a time when I was really giving myself a hard time about all the things I wished I'd done, all the things I didn't do. I feel like this project was about getting to know my family and particularly really getting to know my father, the person almost locked inside his symptoms of PTSD, and really finding him. That was kind of the main purpose of the project and who I found. Yes, I found all that, and I also found myself. Do you have a spiritual path today? I'm very spiritual. I'm not religious per se, but very spiritual. I believe there are there is truth in so many things and in so many paths, and it's each person's responsibility to find what that truth means for them. And what does it mean for you? It means always being open and vulnerable and authentic and not being silent. And by telling my truth, I've become more spiritual, more grounded, um, and have found God. And very slowly, as I, as my mind was opened, and I've been able to explore a lot of different religious paths, I believe in so many of them. And like I said before, I just, I think that there, there are so many truths. Has your dad read the book? He has, and I was scared to death the first time he did, and he loves it. He's actually selling it out of the back of his trunk. <laughs> that must give him some fatherly pride and, and you some some pride in your dad. It does. If you would have said to me a year ago that my dad would be promoting my book like this, I probably would have laughed and said, there's there's no way. I mean, he's he's not going to like this book. My dad only read it a week before it was published, and the reason for that is because I was scared to death of what his reaction would be. Very few people in that area knew that he had PTSD. Nobody in that area, even our own family, knew what had happened back then, the way that my mom and I and the way my dad lived. Has your father sought help for his post-traumatic stress disorder? He has. He does see a psychiatrist, and... I know that he goes to the VA quite regularly, but he's still very quiet about what exactly happens at his doctor's appointment at the VA. From the 1967 U.S. Marine Corps informational film, A Day in Vietnam, narrated by Jack Webb. The Viet Cong are well dug in. The command decision is to call for artillery fire support to dislodge them. I want to ask you about your overall feelings on military conflict. It's the most vivid form of organized violence that we have. So my question is, how does your encounter with your father's post-traumatic stress and with your own reactions to that shape your personal views about war and the human cost of war? Well, I don't pretend to know enough about politics to make such a wide-open statement as there should never be war. But I can tell you that I'm becoming 
more and more anti-war every day. Every time I hear stories about veterans who are not getting help, who are very much at a, a loss of hope, family members who are so affected when these veterans come back. I'm just such a, a big believer and a fan of Gandhi and Martin Luther King Jr. I just think that there always has to be another way. Why do you think we don't often enough find the other way? I don't know. Perhaps we're not evolved enough as a society. Perhaps our politicians, many of them the decision makers, aren't evolved enough. I think that we're very prone to react. Crystal Presley has pondered the remarkable fact that a war she did not personally witness and that ended years before her birth could so profoundly have shaped her life. Perhaps this was the real domino theory, not the idea that countries in Southeast Asia would fall to communism one after another, often cited as justification for American military involvement in Vietnam, but the reality that the horrors of war are inevitably transmitted from generation to generation until something breaks the chain. For so many years, I thought I was alone. I thought that this was my story because we had never talked about it. And one of the things that's been so wonderful and at the same time so scary when in writing this book is that hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people have emailed me, contacted me, called me to say this is my story too. And I just, I didn't know. I was just a girl who was trying to do the right thing and, and write a story. And I opened a big can of worms. What have your interactions been like with the people who have been similarly affected by war and who've made contact with you. It's nice for us both to realize that we're not alone. And at the same time, it's hard for me to carry all these stories. In the beginning, I think that's what I was trying to do, was really carry these stories and, and, and absorb them and perhaps not really have the confidence that, you know, people can carry their own stories and they're, they're capable of that. And so um, in the process of working through that, um, I had a situation happen. I've gotten very comfortable, and it's an everyday occurrence to me now, to talk to adult children of veterans. But I had never once considered myself talking to a little child of a veteran. And I was meeting with the wife of a veteran, a man who is 32, who had gone to Iraq three different times and who is permanently disabled because of PTSD and traumatic brain injury, I was meeting with his wife, and she asked at the last minute if her nine-year-old daughter could come. And so I said, sure. And the daughter was playing electronics the entire time. We were all having lunch together. And so the mom and I are talking about just various things related to war and the organization, family of a vet that she's part of, and the child, who I thought wasn't even listening, suddenly looked up from her electronics and said, Miss Crystal... My mom says, your dad was in a war, too. And my mouth just flew open. I didn't know what to say. And I said, yeah, you know, my dad was in Vietnam. And she looked at me kind of puzzled, and she cocked her head, and she said, Miss Crystal, were you scared of your dad the way I'm scared of mine? Because my dad gets really mad, and he yells, and I lock myself in my room. And I almost burst out crying right there at the table. And in fact, I did as soon as we all left. 
But I kept thinking to myself, oh my goodness, we have a new generation of kids just like me. Crystal Presley in Atlanta. She's author of 30 Days with My Father, Finding Peace from Wartime PTSD. Listening to Humankind, I'm David Freudberg. Studio recording by Antonio Oliart Rose. Editorial assistance from Thomas Royal and Kathy Graham. Webmaster Brian K. Johnson. Special thanks to Brittany Danley of WABE Atlanta and Tony Buck. Our program is produced by Human Media in association with WGBH Boston and Connie Goldman Productions. Program development provided by Shart Media. To purchase a CD copy of this program, please call 1-800-5-LISTEN. That's 1-800-5-L-I-S-T-E-N. Or visit our website where you can also obtain an audio download of this and our other programs and can hear selected episodes free. You can access free written materials related to this program as well. Our web address is humanmedia.org. Again, if you'd like to purchase a CD copy of Humankind by phone, please call 1-800-5-LISTEN, and our web address is humanmedia.org. This segment, The After Effects of War, is Humankind program number 189. The executive producer is David Freudberg. This is Humankind. To hear more episodes of Humankind, you can subscribe to our free podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or your preferred podcast player. A new episode each week. The podcast title is Humankind on Public Radio. And if you enjoy this program, be sure to leave us a kind review at iTunes and Stitcher. If you want to support the program, please visit humanmedia.org. And at the top of the homepage, click on How You Can Help. Again, our web address is humanmedia.org. Thanks.